G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. Many people take advantage of the on-demand economy, Uber instead of taxis, food delivery by Deliveroo, Uber Eats and Fedora. Hey, it's modern. It's with it. So what if the takeaway food industry is predicted to reach $3.5 billion in the next five years, but delivery riders are struggling on low wages, no superannuation, no sick pay, no annual leave, no insurance and no right to challenge being sacked? What can you do? It's the modern world. Is this type of exploitation modern? Can something be done to stop this cancer from destroying workers' rights and well-being? We give you some highlights from the launch of a new campaign launched on February 3rd by the Transport Workers Union, the TWU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU and the Victorian Trades Hall. On-demand economy, the need for change. But first, some workers' news. In the saga of Oakey North, a new verse has been added. But first, a bit of background. At Oakey North, Queensland, 190 workers have been sitting on the grass, locked out from the underground coal mine since May 2017 by Glencore, Swiss multinational, biggest coal mining company in Australia. What's it about? The Oakey North Agreement, the EBA, expired back in 2015 and after 20 meetings between management and the CFMEU, there was no result. Glencore's offer limited the right to union representation, allowed for unilateral changes to rosters without endorsement by either workers or their union, increased the cost of company-provided accommodation, limited access to arbitration and would see some elements of pay set by mine profitability rather than reflecting hours worked. The workers took protected industrial action. Because the Australian workplace laws places no limits on how often an employer might lock out workers in response to industrial action, Glencore locked the workers out. Now, move forward to January the 9th, 2018. The Fair Work Ombudsman, the FWO, informed the leadership of the CFMEU Mining and Energy Division that it had started an investigation into behaviour at the mine from May the 1st last year with the aim of assessing whether the union had breached workplace laws. The FWO told the union that it was assessing whether two parts of the Fair Work Act 2009 have been or continue to be contravened at Oakey North. The five sections in question cover workplace protections against adverse action, coercion, undue influence or pressure, coercion relating to industrial activities and other broad protections that relate to the conduct of industrial action. So what does that mean in real life? The FWO is apparently seeking to understand how the union has paid workers participating in the picket, how various levels of union authority helped organise and support the picket, 
was organised and supported the protest action, and even how the subsequently exiled Scabby the Rat found its way briefly to the front line. The FWO has asked for documents and video or audio recordings of the protests that include shouting and chanting, spray-painting the road, holding up signs, videotaping workers, displaying images of Scabby the Rat or RIP, blowing whistles and gesturing at workers and security staff. The orders to present evidence stretch from detailed diary entries and minutes of union meetings to email and messages sent by text, iMessage, Facebook, WhatsApp and other messaging applications. The FWO also wants any video surveillance or photographs of workers crossing the picket line and all records of CFMEU officials who travelled to the site through the six months and more of the standoff. The Ombudsman is seeking evidence of how the picket has been maintained with detailed requests on the delivery of food, electricity, tents, portable toilets and bollards to the fringes of the mine site. There are demands for information on the provision of signs and clothing including invoices for the manufacture of the printed T-shirts worn by the picketers. The FWO even wants the GPS records from vehicles owned or used by CFMEU officials involved in running or participating in the picket. The Oakey North investigation of the Fair Work Commission and the powers that allow this approach against workers and their organisations mean that Australian democracy has a sword to its heart. Watch this space. On the same theme... The culture war continues with a new directive under the new head of the Australian Building and Construction Commission, Stephen McBurney. McBurney is a veteran AFL umpire and was a former legal assistant commissioner at the ABCC. Uh, He was responsible for compliance powers and he was appointed by the new work Place Minister Craig Laudendy, replacing Nigel Hatchkiss. You will remember Nigel Haskitch, after much posturing, was forced to resign because he contravened the Fair Work Act. In order to prove the ABC's relevance after a shaky 2017, the Australian Building and Construction Commission has warned that employers will be in breach of the National Construction Code and face being ineligible to tender for Commonwealth building work if they do not abide by more stringent limits on the display of union logos and mottos. Companies risk being banned from federal building work if employees display the Eureka flag or union slogans on employer supply clothing and equipment, including mobiles and hard hats, under Turnbull government restrictions on workers showing support for the CFMEU. The guidance material issued on January the 30th says offending material includes images generally attributed to or associated with an organisation such as the iconic symbol of the five white stars and white cross on the Eureka stockade flag. It says mottos including phrases that an organisation's guiding principle and organisation's name, symbols, signs, markings and indications. 
Dave Noonan, the National Secretary of the CFMEU's Construction Division, said it just demonstrates what we have been saying all along, which is the ABCC is not about industry reform, it's not about productivity, it's not about freedom of association, it's a taxpayer-funded cultural war against unionism in the industry. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union, the AUWU, held a National Day of Action on Saturday, February the 3rd. It was against the new proposed changes to Australia's social security system. Uh, it will be in front of Parliament this week, that's the Welfare Reform Bill, and the AUWU says it is the government's plan to impose harsh and punitive requirements on New Start recipients. It will create a punitive demerit point compliance system with private job agencies in control of outcomes, removing government oversight and denying unemployed Australians their right to appeal decisions. This is despite the National Welfare Rights Network's recent report finding almost half of job agency compliance reports are rejected by Centrelink because they were unfair. The LMP government wishes to extend the waiting period for Newstart to six weeks They wish to increase the amount of work for the dole hours or volunteer work a fortnight for all categories of New Start recipients. They want to put New Start recipients and social welfare recipients on a cashless welfare card. That will benefit companies like Coles and Woolworths over smaller businesses. The recent government outsourcing of Centrelink call centre to CERCO, a multinational that runs prisons and refugee detention centres, and government reports showing the government's projected savings from having more new start recipients defaulting the system have been sending alarm bells across the country. If passed, this bill, the Welfare Reform Bill, The AUWU says it will achieve what successive governments have been trying to accomplish for for decades, the breakdown and privatisation of our social security system. The AUWU is calling on citizens to write letters to, to senators to stop the ironically titled Welfare Reform Bill from passing the Senate. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. The launch of a new survey and campaign to get workers' rights for delivery riders in the demand economy held on Wednesday, February the 3rd by the Transport Workers Union brought together academics, unionists, riders and a Victorian minister and overseas guests. One of the first myths that was broken was that the gig economy is really as new as it advertises itself as. Here is Jim Stanford of the Centre for Future Work, followed by Paul Ryan, Industrial Relations Advisor for the Victorian Transport Association and Australian Road Transport Industrial Organisation. I've come to an earth-shattering conclusion this morning. Uh, I've worked for 25 years as a labor economist. I've even got seniority on Joanna. (laughs) And I've decided there's not enough money in being a labor economist. So I'm going out on my own. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start a business. Okay? And uh, I've got a great idea. It's a whole new business model. Wait till you hear this. Okay? Um, I'm going to make stuff. So it's a manufacturing activity. Okay? And sell it to consumers. Uh, But this is how we'll do it. I'll buy some 
raw materials and basic supplies. Um, then I'll get some workers. I'll send them a, a message on their phone. Okay, say come in, come into the office, pick up your raw materials and supplies. Okay, uh, take them home, and they'll do the work at home, making this stuff on their own machines and tools and stuff that they have at home. Then they'll bring the finished product back to me. I'll sell it to the consumer, get paid by the consumer, and then I'll give the workers something out of what I made uh, from the consumer. And the beauty of this model, okay, what money did I actually put up? Okay, all I had to do was buy the raw materials, okay? I don't have to buy the capital, I don't have to invest in anything. I don't even have to advance the wages to these people because I'm gonna pay them out of the product revenue that I get when I sell it, when I sell it, that's it. No fixed capital, and no risk, really. Um, in fact, I, I don't even hire these workers, okay? Really, I work for them because I'm kind of doing them a favor, connecting them with the end, uh, the end consumers of, of what it is. And they're gonna love it because it, this work is so flexible, okay? This work is so flexible, they can work at home anytime they want. They can work 24 hours a day at home. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Uh, I don't put up any money, I don't take the risk, I just take the profits. There's only one little problem with my business model. Somebody already thought of it 200 years ago, okay? Uh, it was called the putting out system, okay? The putting out system, and that was how industrialization began in Great Britain and France and a few other countries uh, in Europe in the uh, early 19th century. Um, and so I'm going to have to somehow put a modern tweak on it. And I've got a plan. I'm going to call it puttingout.com. <laughs> puttingout.com, because if you put .com at the end of something, you're proving that you're an innovator. Okay, and it's modern. And if you stand in the way of this, it means you're an old fart who rejects progress. Okay, so puttingout.com. I'm preparing my IPO. Okay, I'm gonna issue shares and, and make a fortune. So, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, since the dawn of capitalism, 200 and some years ago, uh, employers in any line of work uh, have been trying to solve a core problem. And that is, how do you get people to work harder for less money and how do you shift the risk off of your shoulders as the employer onto someone else? And uh, how much employers are able to do that, hire people to work harder for less money, take on more of the risk, depends on a couple of key factors. It depends on how desperate the workers are, okay? And that is obviously a core element of the business model of Deliveroo and Uber Eats. If you had a decent, fair employment economy where people knew they could go out and get a decent job and make an income that they could count on, the business model for all of these companies would be destroyed, just like that. So this whole business depends on people being desperate enough to do a dangerous job, not having any idea how much wage they're gonna make uh, as a result of it. The second thing it depends on is what are the rules of the game? And since the putting out system was first developed 200 and some years ago, we have realized as a society, you have to have rules on the game. You have to put a box around the efforts of employers uh, to extract more work for less money and shift the risk. And so that's where things like the minimum wage and basic labor rights and collective bargaining came from. And just because you can set up a, a business model where legally it looks like this person isn't your employee by the traditional definition of that term should not mean that those rules don't apply. And that's the, the loophole in our current law. It's not a loophole, it's a gaping hole. It's a gaping hole in the current rules a hole so big you could ride a bicycle through it, okay? 
that just because you're not an employee means you know you're you're subject to the absolute most uh, intense exploitation as possible. Other countries around the world are recognizing the flaw of that and moving to correct it, and Australia has to do the same. But uh, again, as Tony said at the beginning, it won't happen automatically. It will happen because we raise awareness of what's uh, gone wrong and demand a solution from our politicians and regulators, and that's exactly what you and your colleagues are doing today. So, good on you. I represent the what we call the hire and reward operators, the transport companies who will move the freight that Jim's new um, putup.com builds. We're the people who get the clothes into the store, get the goods into the supermarket. We now have situations where some of these newer style companies are beginning to take some of that traditional transport work. Uber is now delivering groceries after hours out of a distribution centre in Richmond on behalf of one of the major supermarkets. In America, all freight brokers, an Uber Freight operates in America is a freight broker, have to be licensed. They have to have agreements in place that underpin the system. Nothing like that exists in Australia. Transport has always been a highly regulated industry because it interacts with the community and other drivers. And therefore regulation is important to protect the community and to protect those people who use the roads. Having been highly regulated, transport is generally slow to take up new technology. Going back, the internal combustion engine was developed in the late 1800s. In Sydney, Melbourne and other capital cities, we still had horse-drawn vehicles pulling freight around in, after the Second World War in the 1950s. Now, when you think about that, 70 years, 80 years for the industry to fully accept the internal combustion engine, you understand when, when I say that we're not quick to take up new technology. I guess I would say that what has been one of the um, guiding principles in the Australian industrial relations system is a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. A fair day's pay for a fair day's work. I'm not sure how that fits in with the gig economy because nobody gets a day's work and it appears that no one gets a fair day's pay. That mantra has underpinned the Australian industrial system since 1904 when the Conciliation and Arbitration Act came into place. Our common law system only recognises employees and independent contractors. They're down either end of the spectrum. But perhaps now it's the time to reconsider that and to develop what I call a dependent contractor or worker concept at common law. A, a worker, these, you people who are doing delivering for Federa, Deliveroo, etc. You're treated as employees for tax purposes by the Taxation Commission. They'll define employees as broadly as they can so they get the money in and up front. In some instances and in some states you might be treated as a worker because the workers' compensation definitions are a little broader than the, than the employment law definitions. But I think we need, as a community, to revisit the concept of what I call a dependent contractor. That's somebody who is dependent on um, one or, or at maximum two suppliers for the work that they perform. And to me, that's how the gig economy works. 
I'll just give you an example. I saw an advertisement on Airtasker. I do use the internet, so that's all right. I saw an advertisement on Airtasker. Air somebody, uh, uh, a truck and trailer needed to move four loads of soil. It would be four different trips and preferably uh, price about 500. And it was to be moved, uh, it, was 70 it was 35 kilometres each way, so a 70, 70 kilometre return trip, four trips, that's 280 kilometres. Now, if you do that on a Saturday or Sunday, you're getting paid less than you would under the award. And you've got to cover the cost of your truck, you've got to cover the cost of your fuel, you've got to cover your labour cost, you've got to cover everything else, including repairs and maintenance. Now, it will only be a matter of time by, from somebody who takes that work, the next person will bid down and it'll be 490 and then it'll be 480. So where do we draw the line? You're listening to Stick Together, Union News, Workers' Stories, Social Justice Issues. Today we are at the On Demand Economy, the Need for Change launch that was held at the Victorian Trades Hall. Let's now hear from some of the riders who were there, bike couriers, Alan McGill and Sarah Pruden, and Chair of Courier branch of the UK trade union, IWGB, Megan Brown. Our industry has always been shonky. People have always been disposable. Um, and in a lot of a lot of companies are also just small courier only companies. And those ones in particular love to run people as contractors. Um, the dependent contractor model that the last panel was talking about fits what we do really well. We get told that we're contractors and we're really just dependent on, on one company for our income. Um, fortunately, a lot of that has changed in the last um, 10, 20 years, um, due in part to a high court case, the Hollis case in the 90s or early 2000s, um, which decided that bicycle couriers should be classified as employees. Uh, not all the companies have got on board with that, even still, but many of them have. Um, so a lot of us are in a much better position than we were up until recently, and we're in a much, much better position than the guys, at, guys and girls at um, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Fedora, etc. So it's, it's really frustrating to see this, the gig economy come in, pulling the same moves that were pulled on us for so long, for decades, and um, to see them doing it all again and just sexing it up by slapping an app on it and for regulators to ignore it and for consumers and the wider community to just accept it and to see it as something innovative when it's uh, really just exploitation all over again. Yeah, so I've been a bicycle career for about four years. I started when I moved to Melbourne. Um, I've also worked in Toronto doing both document and food delivery. And it's, it's just that ongoing struggle of realizing that these companies need you for their bottom line. Without you, they're not going to earn a dollar, yet they will try to take every dollar they can from you in the interim. Um, the way that they're able to establish their businesses under the Australian law breaking these rules, yet it's always the, the worker that suffers. There's I've heard of food delivery riders that are breaking visa conditions because they're trying to make ends meet. And it's the, the rider that gets their ABN cancelled and loses their ability to earn money, not the company that established themselves in a way to allow this to happen. 
Um, it's also sort of a greater exploitation. Even the, the restaurants that are sending the food out, they're paying 35% of the food order to these companies who are then just putting it into their pocket. It's, it's a greater exploitation thing overall of not just the riders, it's the, it's the restaurants, it's everyone involved except for, for the people sort of at the end. And there's, there's transparency with that as well, where because we don't have a, a set building or a set workplace and we intermingle, if, if one company makes gains, that then motivates the other people. They're like, well, I do the exact same job. I deliver to the same buildings. There's no difference in my work. If you're earning $5 more an hour than we are, we probably need to do something to change that. The, the, the branch of my union was only formed a couple of years ago by traditional couriers um, who decided because they hadn't had a pay rise in 15 years, oh, we should do something about this. Um, they won their pay rises after hard campaigning and seeing what they had done, delivery riders began to trickle into the union and saying, ah, we see what you're doing, we realise that we're, on, we're sharing the same roads, the same space, we're doing more or less the same work and we're getting shafted. Um, it all hit off in London after a protest um, there was a, a unilateral change to the pay schemes. People were told, you sign the contract or you're out. Um, and it was clear to them that from it was, it was going to be an hourly rate change to just per job. And, they were saying, and the riders said, well, I know that I work. I, I wait around for hours on end sometimes, not being able to get a job. So how is that going to work? No guarantee of anything. There was a protest um, that hit off in London for over a week where the, the guys were on wildcat strike. I was still too scared to actually join this at the time because I knew that I had no legal protections. I was terrified. But the union stepped in. We had a meeting, emergency meeting, and I went to the meeting in secret and saw that people were willing to stand up and do something. That was my defining moment, and I've been carrying it on from then, just speaking out as much as possible and telling people, you have a voice, it is okay, the union will protect you, um, the public consciousness will protect you. Now, you know, I'm speaking in Australia, <laughs> I mean, the delivery can't touch me now, touch wood. <laughs> um, because they know that how bad it will look because their whole thing, I would say, is this narrative of your, it's perfectly your choice, your flexibility, your, your free will to work for us, even if it puts you in you know, debt, even if it puts you in the hospital. Um, so, yeah, there's been lots going on in not just London, but the rest of the UK and across Europe, um, everywhere that Deliveroo and these companies similar to Deliveroo uh, are operating, there are people who are standing up and saying, this is not right. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. Jim Stanford, Paul Ryan, Alan McGill, Sarah Pruden, Megan Brown for being part of the program as well. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 8377. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. 
My name's Annie McLaughlin. Until next time, stick together.